Hi guys, uh, following a very interesting interview that we had with Matic Network, I have with me Jack today, who's the CEO of Scale Labs, uh, which is also trying to solve the problem of scalability on Ethereum. Welcome to the show, Jack. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So in one of the blog posts uh, that your company's posted, you talk about the evolution of how uh, enterprise software has evolved from it being on-premises to in the cloud and now open source. And so from the perspective of crypto, how much of the business moat comes from things like packaging and marketing and community? And we've already seen multiple examples of this where some of the protocols uh, do much better because of the way that, uh, because of how involved the community is or because of uh, the moat that they've built through uh, marketing. Could you give us your thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, great question. So it's, I've been doing enterprise software for 13 years. Uh, started uh, actually in a semi-on-prem cloud hybrid company that uh, had a sold to Motorola for 500 million. It was a cryptographic secure messaging platform for the enterprise called Good Technology. Uh, I then started a digital currency platform uh, for the enterprise where enterprises could tokenize uh, scarce resources and the price would fluctuate based off supply and demand and did that in 2008. Uh, really got excited about digital currency and uh, but did that also right before the market crashed. And anyways, ended up folding that into an enterprise software startup uh, that uh, grew and the, the majority of the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical and biotech companies around the world use this to optimize their uh, their enterprise resources or uh, and their sales and marketing efforts. So uh, that company is called Octana. So have have a long history uh, in in seeing the enterprise evolve and eventually moving into a pure cloud model, and also had a, an opportunity to see the way IT organizations made buying decisions and the way finance like to buy software. Uh, and what I've seen now and kind of my view and why I'm here living in this world of, of crypto and decentralized systems is I think the next big play as we've seen uh, open source really, really take uh, come to the forefront and open source is still, let's be honest, it's just getting started, right? Cloud is, is dominating, uh, but open source cloud and B2D platforms are really starting to take off. And uh, there's a lot of chatter. You go to any coffee shop in San Francisco, you'll probably hear somebody You'll overhear a conversation about that. And the reason is, is it's community. Community is your asset. You, you have to give up your code. And in return, you get community. You get not just people helping and supporting and, and contributing, but your customers feel get to touch and feel and see what they're buying. And then the value is not just writing the code. It's the way you package the code and the way you host it for them. Uh, still, no one wants to uh, host your open source code on their internal servers. So we still have a cloud model, but it's with an open, uh, open source effort. So that has been interesting to see happen, and that's just getting started. The next evolution on that, which is really exciting, is one of the issues with open source software is driving network effects and getting motivated contributors and you're still reliant on you know, centralized systems and you have to pay uh, companies to run your servers. In this P2P open world we're living in, the, network, the opportunity to drive network effects is so much, so much greater. And that is exciting. That's what's exciting to me about crypto and then the evolution on top of open source. So this is, uh, these things, the other thing is I think everyone 
gets really uh, anxious and excited and they expect it to happen overnight. These things take a long time, okay? Like these are 10 year uh, processes to really get huge headwind. And that's just what it takes to not only just start a big uh, prominent platform or business or project, but to really see adoption take place. So we're just still in the early stages. And I think the next couple of years are going to be pretty exciting. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think, um, I, I don't know if you want to get into that, but I think uh, there's been a huge discussion about how uh, I saw this tweet about how meme is law and how the meme culture actually drives communities today and actually drives traffic on the internet. Uh, and, and so I think that becomes super important in developing uh, the community and also getting awareness of particular projects or companies out there. Uh, but what I want to mm -hmm. ask is you make a point of um, how, you know, AWS, you know, it going down and, and even if it's just for a couple of minutes, how that's totally unacceptable, especially in today's context and in the future where we might have things like autonomous cars dependent uh, on things like AWS, um, including some of the very other vital things. Could you explain a little bit about or talk a little bit about how the role that blockchain technology plays uh, as far as uptime is concerned? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, uh, Stan Cladco, Scale CTO and my co-founder, loves to talk about the unstoppable nature of blockchains. And really, it's a what you're getting at is the concept of thinking of blockchains really is back in databases. So uh, they're, you know, instead of having one instance, you're running an entire set of them. If they're B uh, Byzantine fault tolerant, as long as two thirds of them are operating, the system keeps running, right? So they are unstoppable databases, uh, assuming there's the right incentive structures and uh, security measures and strength within the code. Uh, they are unstoppable. And I do think we're going to see, uh, especially in, systems like scale where we have a network of side chains and uh, and we are building what we call elastic side chains i think with the industry a lot of people are starting to call elastic side chains where we're able to not just provide a server to a, re, uh, a chain but provide a component of a server so because of also mike you know what we see happening with containerization with microservices and uh, we're able to take a server and make that a lot more than just one server and in scale uh, one node could be on 128 chains at full capacity if you're at the smallest level or if someone wants more resources maybe that that server gets devoted in a one-to-one -one ratio and all the uh, containers uh, work in, as one unit uh, to support a larger chain so so what uh, what I'm getting at is what I think we're going to see it, with these elastic sidechain models is you're going to see them performing more as what has database structures and you're going to be seeing the browsers performing more heavy work and maybe heavy lifting and the back end is going to be more about simple calls, storage uh, and security. And uh, you'll see more action happening in the browser as we see that evolve from the perspective of, uh, you know, how people use DAP. So, so I, I do think uptime is important, even more important though, I think there's benefits to uh, being able to run a truly decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system and decentralized application that are business-oriented and uh, actually allow people as entrepreneurs to bring a new advantage to the playing field other than just uptime, which uptime is also really valuable. Right. 
Uh, so you mentioned a couple of concepts. Elastic sidechain is one of them. Network of sidechains mm -hmm. is another. And I want to get into um, both those concepts, but I want to talk about just Ethereum scalability in general first. Um, so there's mm -hmm. multiple layer one and layer two solutions uh, that are in progress at the moment. There's multiple entrepreneurs trying to work, work on these problems. Um, and so, uh, you know, on the layer two side, you've got uh, plasma and side chains on one side and the payment channels on another. You've chosen to go down the side chain path. Could you talk a little bit about your motivations to go down this, this path? I mean, was that from personal experience? Is there any particular reason why you've chosen to work on this particular problem? Yeah, so so I you know have kind of a career of living in this middleware zone of software and being connected as a part of the system. So uh, when I met Stan, he was he was actually working uh, on his own on on a Dex. Uh, he also had idea for a Twitter payments plat type play payments platform and three or four other ideas, and he was you know excited about doing all of them. And I said, said, why do you think you can do five different things? And said, and I listened to him and I said, okay, well, show me technically how you think this all works. And I realized that what he was designing was a was a, what I saw as middleware, which is today what we see as elastic sidechains. And he was thinking of bringing that to market with a DEX. And I realized, uh, we realized together that, wow, this is something we could bring to the market and bring it to many decentralized finance applications, many uh, consumer internet disruptor dApps, many games. And that's really, that was the genesis of how that came about. Now, side chains, uh, and frankly, that was the model he saw that solved his problem the best when he was designing what he wanted from a decentral, uh, decentralized exchange perspective. Um, what, uh, what is interesting about all of these models is they, all, they have different strengths and weaknesses. So, Side chains, we like side chains because we think they're by far, uh, they bring the best user experience. They by far bring the best, you know, uh, and that's for the developer, that's for the end user. The end user doesn't even need to know they're using a side chain. Uh, the developer could deploy to scale in less than one minute. You can run full state smart contracts with very little additional effort. And uh, essentially EVM in our system runs on the side chain. So, uh, so what you have is just a mini version and many, many versions or even bigger versions uh, of Ethereum that ha also have obviously changes so that, you know, in scale, you could run 2000 smart contracts per second. But uh, conversely, there are when you have greater user experience, you also have greater risk. So it's incredibly important for the scale network and any sidechain network to have great uh, incentives for validators. Uh, in terms of staking, in terms of slashing, in terms of rewards, in terms of seeding the network initially with people who have strong interest towards the network success and money in the system. And you also need to be smart as a developer. Uh, on day one of a new sidechain network launching, you shouldn't put uh, million-dollar homes on the sidechain, right? We're going to see small transactions. We're going to see settlement happening with more regularity so people aren't leaving such vast amounts on the sidechain for too long. And over time, as these sidechain networks get stronger, you're going to see that people start trusting them more like they've trusted Ethereum. Now, some of these other methods have you know, tighter restrictions and uh, harder implementation from user experience perspective for users and end users, but they have more built-in security guarantees. So, uh, so they give up functionality for security, 
And in a sidechain network, security is still paramount, uh, but it's going to, people will see people take more and more time before they put hugely expensive assets on sidechains. And even then, the sidechains are meant to work in tandem with uh, the layer one, which frankly, uh, I, I think we're going to grow out of the term layer one and layer two very soon, especially as we start seeing elastic sidechain networks really just being other blockchains. And what we're going to have is a lot of blockchains, and some of them are going to be good at execution or activity, and other ones are going to be really good at uh, securing assets. So we'll have security layers, we'll have action layers, and, and I think we're also going to see uh, state channels and plasma implementations uh, also be a part of this mix based off of needs and requirements. So it'll be really interesting to see this develop. Uh, and you know, we're talking to developers every day and we're happy about the model we have. It works for our, uh, our partners. So, um, but you know, all of these things I think are viable uh, assets to the ecosystem. Yep. Yeah, I, I like the fact that you talk about the actual interaction about with off the side chains with the main chain and how the main chain and the side chain offer differing levels of security. And so um, I guess an application can kind of decide uh, depending on the kind of transactions it's doing, uh, what level of security it needs and where settlement takes place, how long do assets stay on the side chain versus settling on the main chain. Um, you mentioned a couple of other things. So one was uh, a network of side chains and the other thing was uh, an elastic side chain. Could you talk a little bit about what do you mean actually by a network of side chains? And again, and within that context, what does elasticity mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. So great question. So let's say in the scale network, let's say there's a thousand nodes in that network. Okay. Um, in that network, when you, let's say I'm a developer and I come to deploy my side chain and I take my Ethereum smart contract that I want to run in the side chain um, in less than a minute, I can get it up on my, uh, in my, in my side chain. Now, how do I get those servers? How does the, that network determine who works for me? And do I just get 16 servers? What happens if one goes down? Now, the thing with elastic sidechains and a network of sidechains is that there's randomization and an algorithm that determines which nodes work for me. And then it also rotates the nodes that work for me so, that, so as to prevent collusion. And it also tries to obfuscate from the nodes so, they don't, so that they don't understand and know who they're working for. Now, uh, we have to assume that you know, they are gonna be able to just figure out what chains they're on, we have to rotate them and have the right incentive structure so they don't want to collude and, um, and have the right penalties if they do. But um, what essentially happens, and what we do at scale, we use threshold signatures. We use BLS threshold signatures to do random number generation to determine the entropy of which nodes or subsection of a node or what we call virtualized subnodes work for that chain. Now, that therein, I think, brings up the topic of elasticity. So uh, as I've been doing enterprise software in my career, enterprise clients, and, uh, and I say this, we are building, like this just means any uh, high performant uh, company, project, game, et cetera, these people running systems expect to be able to configure systems to their liking, okay? So if I wanna deploy on Amazon today, if I wanna deploy on Google Cloud, if I wanna deploy, um, in any of these cloud instances, I can determine how much I want and I can determine uh, all of these flavors and components and colors that 
match my requirements. Crypto right now is one size fits all. Everybody just shares it. And guess what? In five years, that's not going to be the case. People, even in now, like we're giving people the opportunity to show up and say, this is how many nodes I want. This is how much space within each node I want. And, and this is what my, my budget is. And if I have a low budget and low need for my chain, I might get the smallest chain, which is one 128th of 16 random selected uh, virtualized sub nodes. Or I may say I want entire nodes and I want a lot of them. And, and the, uh, the other piece of this that's interesting is it's not just configuration on space you also can determine in a elastic sidechain model what features you want. So storage is an interesting feature. You're gonna see some big announcements uh, if you haven't already on scale storage. So if we can think of this node as having many different little Linux boxes or containers in them, and each one of them is essentially its own computer, we can also leverage those for storage. And so what we've done at scale is we've been able to extend EVM so that we can make calls upon these containers and, and help people leverage storage right within the sidechain. So there's no need now to uh, run IPFS for many use cases. In some use cases, great, IPFS would be good. But for many of them, we're finding uh, developers just want to leverage the sidechain and there you go. Then you have your storage, it's on-chain, and it's all accessible within uh, the subnodes that you can extend EVM to. So that's uh, the quick, dirty summary of uh, a network of nodes that rotates and randomly works for for uh, for ADAPT, and the way that not even an entire server, but a subcomponent of a server, can work for ADAPT, and that's really where we get elasticity, uh, configurability, modularity, um, and you know within a network of side chains. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good overview of. I think your entire network as well. And uh, again, I think the key component or the key message, key takeaway there is that things are customizable depending on the use case, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, so I think this is one of the last few technical questions. I don't want to you know, bore the audience too much as well. So <laughs> one of the la last technical questions that I want to ask is around the consensus mechanism. Uh, could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about what that is for each of these uh, side chains or S chains as you call them? Yeah, so that's a that's another great question. So we think of even consensus as a component of configuration. So at the start, there's only one consensus model you can use and it's a scale consensus and it's a leaderless BFT and it kind of, it has a, uh, we didn't invent any math proofs. We've really uh, worked off of this lineage of Honey Badger, Red Belly, uh, and then some great work by Mustafi uh, and Renal uh, and those uh, that group with a binary consensus. Uh, so, uh, so what we have with scale is a leaderless binary consensus, and it's very fast. Uh, not when outside of EVM, it does twenty thousand transactions per second. Inside of EVM, it gets throttled down to two thousand, and that's across sixteen full scale nodes. So uh, it's really fast, but we understand that maybe our customers at some point for different reasons are going to want different types of consensus. And someone might want to use a tendermint. Someone might want to use uh, a different model of consensus. So in the future, you'll even be able, as you deploy your scale chain, to select the consensus that works for your requirements. So uh, we, we think of the scale network as being a true configurable modular system 
We also, at some point, would like we want to implement uh, Plasma, and so I could say, actually, I want to implement a Plasma operator here as connected to my my chain uh, and other features. So um, these, and so we, the thing is, you have to start from day one with a modular configurable build. It's hard to build something and then say, oh, I want to help my users swap this out or that out. You, the system will break. So from day one, we've been building that model, and that's because. You know, we have a team that I think is a really nice mix of crypto experts and enthusiasts and enterprise software people who uh, have really seen the way to build software systems that are usable and configurable. Right. Um, so I want to pick on that word usable. And I, I know a lot of scalability projects talk about not just scalability, but usability as well. Uh, also to get to a stage where not only early adopters are using it, but uh, it does get sort of more mainstream usage and adoption. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about your efforts to make things more usable and more user-friendly? I think we've talked from a developer perspective uh, about how they can kind of adapt and make and how things are customizable within uh, the scale network. Uh, customizable depending on the use case, but more from a user perspective, like how does it how does that impact the user, or is there anything that you're doing at the network level to make it uh, more user friendly for the for the final end user. Yeah, really, really great question. So um, I like to say scalability is equally a user experience problem as it is a technology problem. Um, if we create just something that's faster, but it's not usable, it's not. We're not going to see any growth. We're you know we're not going to get over ten thousand users a month on DAP radar and. The reality is, is to be relevant, and hey, by the way, this stuff takes a while. It's gonna take a while, and what happens is it builds slow, and then it happens really fast. <laughs> um, so, but to get to that compounding uh, growth where we hit this like knee of the curve, we're going to need uh, far greater usability. Uh, and one thing I like to see, a lot of the very cool projects we're working with have blockchain really almost as a behind the scene things for users, okay? Uh, and and some some of it's upfront and and obviously a core part of the business, but um, even those are making great strides towards usability. So what uh, what that means to us and what that means from a sidechain perspective is, for us the end user never needs to know they're even interacting on a sidechain. So what they do is they use a system, and then what we do is we connect the Web three connector. So that essentially there's a a data point from the browser that uh, from Web3 that Ethereum gets, and we make sure that the sidechain gets the exact same data point at the same time. So you connect it to both places, and then what you need to do is you need to freeze those ERC-721s or ERC-20s or ETH or whatever it is coming through, um, and we even plan to do this for Bitcoin. Somebody could build a dApp and uh, have, it, have it Bitcoin freeze, and then we can help them leverage EVM uh, within with bitcoin so but let's go back to like an erc20 so on one side it's going here and it's just getting stuck and the other side it's going through and it's running and consensus is happening so uh, and this is all happening in the side chain what's happening on the side chain then are effectively clones so the user only is using one currency that's locked and then they every time i put an ether in then guess what a clone is created on the side chain and it runs and if i spend it and I want it back, guess what? That ledger is keeping track of it. And when I want my money back, it makes sure it's accurate and it burns the clone 
and releases the attributed money back to me that I have when I want it, assuming that, uh, you know, it, it would obviously the ledger would be accurate. Uh, and then it would update the main chain and the money would come back to me. So in that model, the user never knows, there's never a delay and they don't need to have a special wallet. They don't need to fund a special wallet. They don't need to rely on uh, the dApps to have integrations with their special wallet for, you know, uh, that channel or generalized state channel, whatever it might be. And then for the developer, literally it takes a minute once they, you know, let's say I get access, I set up my, maybe it's five minutes or 10 minutes to set up my scale chain. Once I have it, I just update a few settings and it's as easy as deploying to an Ethereum testnet. So we think the developer it needs to be easy for them. And most importantly, we can't add more complexity to the end user. We need to get 100,000 users a month and then we need to get 50% month over month growth, okay? <laughs> Look how many people use uh, Supercell games, right? That's, that's the level of traction we need uh, within this space. Yep. So speaking of traction, let's talk about some of the dApps that are building on your network. Yeah. So we, uh, we've taken an interesting approach where we, we've launched what's called the Scale Innovator Program. And we're firm believers in uh, customer development methodology. So Steve Blank was an investor in uh, the first company I started. And, uh, you know, Four Steps to Epiphany is a really great book for anyone out there wanting to learn more. Uh, it's one of the, I think, classics of product development and customer development. And so instead of just trying to sign up 100 customers uh, or users, we've done two waves of five, uh, five dApps. And we work with them. They beat up the product. They tell us what they want. We go back and build the features. And it's just old-fashioned Silicon Valley customer development. So we've got uh, 10 really amazing dApps in this program. And it's a mix of games. It's a mix of uh, decentralized finance uh, and, uh, and, and consumer internet disruptors and music disruptors. So we're seeing a, a nice mix uh, uh, in, that, in those categories. And we're, we're excited to open it up. We're doing another cohort here in, uh, in May, uh, end of May, and it will be uh, very focused on storage. So if anybody wants to run and test the scale chain, and especially if you want to leverage storage, uh, we'd love to talk. And, uh, and then even more excited to just open it up to anybody and everyone. But hey, right now, there's a really great group of people that are beating it up and they're giving us phenomenal feedback. And, and we're building that into the product. Uh, it's it's funny how you mentioned uh, you know Silicon Valley style banging out companies. Uh, so you're on the Decrypt Asia podcast. I want to know about your plans for Asia. Yeah. So I, hey, I'm a I have spent I spent 500 days in Japan uh, over seven years, not too long ago. Spent a lot of time in China and have spent a lot of time in Asia on business. So. Uh, really, really appreciate that market. And um, one thing I've seen is, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, Silicon Valley methodologies, I've seen them grow out and seen amazing companies apply and even innovate and take those on into their own markets, especially in Singapore, uh, Indonesia, uh, uh, Japan, uh, China. Uh, really, really amazing things happening in Asia. And, and I'll be spending a lot of time there again. And used to spend 10 days a month in Asia for about seven years. So right. love, the, yeah. love the market. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to kind of, you know, get your views on uh, the competitive landscape. So there's a few projects that are 
now working on scalability projects, specifically on the side chain slash plasma chain uh, in that context. Um, could you talk a little bit about how your value proposition is a little bit different from theirs? And if any entrepreneur is looking to kind of build on uh, one of these uh, side chain projects, why should they pick yours over some of the others that exist today? Yeah, great, great question. So what I would say is that a lot of it depends on your use cases. So like I said earlier, if you're building a car sales uh, DAP where you sell $50,000 cars, like don't use scale. If you're doing something and you need a lot of throughput and you need fast block time. So on scale, you can actually have sub-second block times. So uh, that is a huge value when you have a lot of interactivity and you need finality fast because there's interaction and uh, so uh, and storage being integrated is also a huge asset but uh, we uh, so that's where we really really are seeing a lot of uh, success is people that have a lot of small transactions and people that need to leverage smart contracts right now we have ethereum support will you know potentially support other chains it just depends on where our customers drive us we're customer focused uh, and and we let our customers drive our requirements so, uh, uh, and then what I would say though, at a high level is, um, you know, the, right now I like, so I've, I've got a glass of water. It's like, it's like everyone's fighting over this amount here and, um, over there, there's an entire ocean of potential business opportunity. So I like to think of our competitors as also helping drive, uh, the mission forward. And, you know, we're just focused on building great experiences and I wish them the best of luck too. And, if we can create more and more success, then guess what? We won't have to fight over a little piece. We'll be all swimming in a big, big, uh, nice warm ocean. <laughs> um, but we have to, we have to make uh, success uh, for our, our partners on the DAP side. Yep. I think that's a great note to end the interview on, Jack. Thanks a lot for taking the time to uh, come speak on this podcast. Hey, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.